1: Welcome to the New Books Network.
2: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the new episode on New Books Network. Today we have with us Professor Shalja Payek. We are here to discuss her new book, The Vulgarity of Caste, Dalits, Sexuality, and Humanity in Modern India. Professor Payek is Associate Professor at University of Cincinnati She is staffed Distinguished Professor of History and Affiliate Faculty in Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies and Asian Studies. Her research lies at the intersection of fields concerning modern South Asia, Dalit Studies, Women's Studies, oral history, to mention a few. Her first book was Dalit Women's Education in Modern India, Double Discrimination, and recently she has come out with her second book, The Vulgarity of Caste, Dalit Sexuality and Humanity in Modern India, from Stanford University Press. She has also written significant peer-reviewed journal articles discussing the Dalit women's historiography a historian by training her recent work involves rich ethnographic engagement with talit women who are at cultural site of tamasha production it is also first in-depth engagement with tamasha as an art form exploring and locating its history thank you professor pike for joining us today
3: Thank you very much, Kalyani. I really appreciate this opportunity uh, to talk about my work. And um, it is, you know, it is very fantastic that Kalyani has, you know, offered to do this podcast. So thank you. Thank you, Professor Pike.
2: So, Professor Pike, your work is an important reflection on the question of Dalit women and their sexuality question. Through the performance of Tamasha, you have re-looked into the life world of Dalit women and have argued about what the performance of Tamasha means in Dalit women's everydayness rather than conventionally understanding it through a moral lens of good versus bad. The framework of Manuski and Asli reflects upon the Dalit women's quest to transgress ascribed identities And it reinforces Dalit performance as a weapon for the weak. Your work is indeed a watershed as it re-centers Dalit women's experience in sex, gender, caste complex, rather than looking them as a passive recipient of male-centered Dalit assertion. So Professor Pai, can you briefly reflect upon your journey through this book? How much time did it take for you to engage and understand Dalit women performing Tamasha? What
3: interested you to take up this research? Certainly, Kalani. Thank you very much for that question. And it is really intriguing because I I grew up, you know, in India, and I have I have now, uh, you know spent almost like half my life in India and half in the US. But this is, I I grew up watching uh, popular arts in Pune city and in my village, uh, Koparga, which is in Ahmednagar district. And I watched uh, a number of, you know, musical and dance performances like Tamasha, Gundhar, Jagran, along with films, you know, that um, were broadcast by doordarshan as we called it then and uh, as a child i was very excited uh, about uh, these arts and i even you know at times enacted the song and dance uh, of the women So it was, um, I mean, along, you know, just, it was just like, yes, while playing as children, you know, with my cousins, this is what we used to do. So it was mainly during my field research, um, and from 2000 to 2004, for my first book, Dalit Women's Education in Modern India Double Discrimination, that was published by Rutledge in 2014 that i interacted with uh, tamasha women like srekha Mangala mangalatai bansode simatai pote and i you know i uh, for for this book i interviewed dalit women from a range of backgrounds rural and urban slums middle class apartments literate and non literate and I, I you know spent a good amount of time with uh, tamasha dancers who, you know, uh, mainly read, led peripatetic lives. The families were constantly on the move. And I spent long hours uh, chatting with Mangalatai Bansode in Pune and in Kada village, Ahmednagar, where she was performing on those two nights. So, uh, you know, we, uh, as I worked on, uh, you know, understanding their lives uh, for my first book, and, and after I finished that book, I was thinking about you know these questions, and that is where I decided to investigate and to understand you know what this popular theatre meant. Mainstream scholars have you know neglected uh, tamasha as a performance, and you know this the politics of the sex gender caste system as i call it and except for one article by the sociologist uh, feminist sociologist sharmila Reggae, there is no systematic analysis of the social and the sexual life of tamasha and so this itself you know is a suppression of uh, of an analysis of popular art forms and that is why you know when i i decided to venture into understanding how Tamasha was actually you know, rooted in the sex, gender, caste complex, and what it meant to Dalits, and most importantly, also understanding how it changed over the 19th and the 20th century.
2: Okay. Uh, thank you, Shalja. I think uh, that's really interesting uh, that you have actually explored uh, the, the 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 meanings of tamasha for Dalit women, and uh, my second second question also uh, reflects uh, on this, but uh, or is coming out from this particular line. So. Uh, Professor Pike, it's interesting that in your book you have culled out Dalit woman's experience performing Tamasha from a man's experience of it. Was the relationship between Dalit man and Dalit woman in Tamasha, in a Tamasha setting, conflictual or were there convergence as well? Can you briefly reflect to our audience about some Unique conversations
3: that you had with Dalit
2: women performing Tamasha?
3: Yeah, certainly. So the book, uh, you know, it focuses on um, many oral history interviews that I conducted with uh, Dalit mm, women and some men. And here, you know, it's very, uh, first, you know, it's very important. And then as a historian, I think this is important to mention that We do not find uh, the stories of these marginalized communities in the quote-unquote official archive, And so, you know, how do you understand life of these people uh, people who are absent in these, you know, official archives? And most importantly, how do you understand and grapple with the social memory of these communities? So that is how, you know, I, uh, and I, and I have been conducting, you know, oral history interviews even for my first book. So this started in 1999, and that is how I went about in the field talking with the, uh, you know, m- with my participant, you know, participants or interlocutors as, you know, we may call them. They were sharing their experiences uh, with me. And it is, you know, while doing this, we see as to how, for example, five generations of Mangalatai's family were involved, have been involved in tamasha. So her grandparents, her parents, her sisters, brothers, children, and uh, grandchildren, nieces, and a lot of nephews. So clearly, you know, women and men are working uh, together. And we also see as to how, you know, uh, they're also like, have become, rivals so for example you know mangalatai's brother and sisters they have their own groups and um uh, mangalatai has her own tamasha troop so like for and similarly sulekhatai punekar and her sister Lata punekar are also you know very very renowned leading tamasha uh performers and uh, they also you know have their separate troops so we clearly see so that so They are trying to, you know, build on this khandani, as they called it, which is basically a family occupation or a hereditary lineage that they're trying to carve out. And this is the caste and the cultural capital. So, this, so Tamasha has become, you know, their livelihood for, uh, for many generations for, you know, the men, the children, the women in their families. So, for example, as uh, Kailas, Nara, and Gaukar asserted, and I quote, He said, we, that is my mother and I, had no other option. There are other businesses too, but Tamasha is our Lakshmi, that is the goddess of wealth. And so this is not business. It is our service to the public. We entertain people forgetting our own sorrows. End quote. So in this manner, we see that Tamasha uh, people, they exploited the cracks in the institution of caste that reduced them to work as laborers and entertainers. And Tamasha people worked at serving dominant caste, you know, men, mostly men who were in the audience. But at the same time, they were very much implicated in the very regimes of power and sexual caste, as I call it, the sexual caste violence that oppressed them. So uh, Tamasha people, yes, women, men, children, even transgender folks, They came, you know, they used it as a cultural and a social capital that they acquired and accumulated and most importantly, skillfully cultivated over long years. That's
2: interesting, Shalja, uh, the way you are actually looking into uh, the so-called unconventional archive uh, to explore the social memory and in fact rethinking the cultural capital that uh, the players of Tamasha have actually cultivated over a period of time, over generations. So uh, coming to my next question, Shasha, I want to ask you how have the conceptual categories like Manuski and Asli through which you have redefined Dalit women performing Tamasha rethinks the Dalit woman question per se. How can such conceptualization be developed or integrated to the Dalit feminist theorization?
3: Yeah, certainly. So I think here I would like to talk uh, about my conceptual and you know theoretical contributions and it is very important to understand as to how i have used you know tamasha to basically understand the history of uh, these uh, the development of these conceptual categories and most importantly what they have meant to dalits it was dalits who who Actually constructed them, and you know that is how they tried to understand their humanity. So Dalits struggled to you know recuperate their manuski or dignified humanity, and they and lift themselves up, raising their moral status in the eyes of the dominant castes and the colonial government to assert their legitimacy. That is the asli status. So. Here we clearly see that, you know, although, uh, for example, uh, Savarna's, uh, you know, men and women who performed in Tamasha or, you know, Lavnis or in films, you know, these were, you know, very tentative arrangements for them. But uh, it is mainly abject uh, Dalit Tamasha women who were excluded, you know, from such fame, who were excluded from their legitimate and or authentic uh, status, for example. So my framework of Manuski, Ashlil and Asli, you know, actually provides avenues for Dalit feminist theorization in that women, and especially here uh, Dalit women, or who, uh, Dalit Tamasha women who have never been considered Manus or human or you know stria or you know women you know or woman and authentic that is asli they would have the now have the opportunity to push against these concepts and you know embody these categories and entities and it is significant to understand here as to how i came upon the concept of manaski this concept was actually deployed by Dr. Ambedkar and you know we see this especially from the 1920s when he talks about as to how Manuski would enable Dalits uh, to, to become a, a, a person So Ambedkar uh, or a human. So Ambedkar deployed Manuski to enable a very far, uh, a far wider conception and politics. Of the good of self-mastery and recognition, embracing practical reason and a broad range of emotions. So, to Ambedkar, uh, and I quote here: "To be Manus is not to behave like a slave." So, this is what, dalits you know, this is how they would fa- fight against caste slavery. And most importantly, he declared, and I quote: "Ours is a fight to achieve manusky. End quote. So Manuski brought together the moral and material claims about fundamental equality and it possessed a potential to connect with others across caste, class, political and religious divisions. However, uh, so here is, you know, we also see, uh, you know, the problems that Ambedkar also left no space in his idea of Manuski for Tamasha women unless they abandoned quote-unquote, you know, uh, this oh, ashleel business as the larger society called it. So Ambedkar constituted a new Dalit woman through these interrelated ideas of an intrinsically caring humanity. So we have to focus on Ambedkar's commitment and also the contradictions that he was facing. Right? So I'm, theoretically, you know, he was an absolutely radical in talking about the you know the sex gender caste complex as I talk as I you know have developed in the book where he shows and he talks about as to how it's all women basically who were oppressed by the sex gender caste system, but Dalit women and this is where I actually extend Ambedkar's theorization to talk about. How Dalit women were more oppressed, and most importantly, the so-called disrespectable Dalit Tamasha woman was, you know, the most vulnerable. So you know, he he does this, but at the same time, we also come across, you know, some ambiguities, and that is where we also see that he he created binaries of quote unquote respectable asexual women toiling away in the factories and so-called dishonorable sexual uh, tamasha women or prostitutes. So, you know, I have uh, dealt with this in details in this chapter on Ambedkar and Manuski and reconstructing of Dalit life worlds. So, however, you know, this um, uh, strategy of Manuski, uh, it infused humanism with new knowledge and understanding and so this moral sensibility is absent in the Savarna-dominated world, which excluded Dalits from fully becoming human, that is, you know, a full uh, manas. So we need to understand these contingencies and the problems that that we think about, uh, you know, a theory, but what actually happens on the ground in practice may not necessarily align at all times with our theoretical formulations. And so these are exactly the problems that we come across. Uh, yes,
2: Shalja, I think uh, your book has actually talked about this uh, question of uh, talking about Dalit women through the lens of humanism and something that was denied that uh, the humanistic touch that was denied to her within a Samwana framework of thinking. So uh, Related to, since you were talking about Ambedkar and uh, his frame of thought, uh, when it came to uh, the understanding of the Dalit woman question and how it can be further extended to the process of Dalit feminist theorization itself, I wanted to uh, actually talk about that uh, the dichotomy of morality, immorality or Ashleel Asli, as, Asli is a recurrent theme of your book. In fact, Dr. Ambedkar in his writings have problematized Dalit women who were into prostitution. prostitution. Uh, how has your book taken forward this discussion on the question of Dalit women as the moral bearers of society? Uh, how do you locate Tamasha women within Ambedkar's frame of thought?
3: Correct. Yeah. So this is you know something that I just um, uh, talked about, but I think here it is you know very important uh, to understand you know once again, and I know I I am going to uh, reinforce some conceptual and theoretical moves that I have deployed in my book, and so it is it is it is very in, important to understand these these changes you know historically and what they mean for us today in you know uh, in our present world so uh, in 1916 you know uh, dr ambedkar he launched a critique of brahmini patriarchy and endogamy which he called the caste mechanism as it functioned to regulate the sexuality social mobility and economic resources of women Especially surplus that is unmarried or unmarriageable women, and thus safeguard a Brahman power and privilege by preventing these women from seeking intercaste marriages and transgressing the boundaries of the caste hierarchy. So while caste sociality regulated the sexuality of all women, the real sexual violence of caste slavery lay in the differentiation of sexuality and ritual exploitation of untouchable women. So Ambedkar does not mention... um, untouchable women. I am using the word as Mm -hmm. it was used in contemporary times. So I just want the listeners to pay attention to this. Mm -hmm. So Ambedkar does not mention, you know, uh, the prostitute or the tamasha women. So what I'm doing is I'm extending Ambedkar's analysis of the Brahmin surplus woman to the mahar prostitute. And here I'm specifically referring to this particular woman that Ambedkar then, you know, uh, would go on and talk to them in the 1930s. So I recognize that the Mahar uh, prostitute or the Tamasha woman does not figure in Ambedkar's 1916 theoretical analysis. If, If, however, we extend Ambedkar's theorization, we can appreciate specific nature of her exploitation her physical labor which was always open to appropriation and you know she was considered a surplus woman without a legal partner. So the very mode of evaluation that subjected the Brahmin woman to an assessment of her as quote-unquote surplus was additionally weaponized against the Mahar prostitute as well as those women like Tamasgirs or Muralis seen to be sexually available and thus associated uh, with, this was associated with her. So in her case, sexual labor was not restricted to marriage or caste. It was obscured and universalized. And by ensuring that all people had access to her laboring body, and that all men could claim her sexual body, she was rendered through the sex-gender-caste complex, as I call it, both surplus and constantly available. And although many Tamasha women were married and they had monogamous relationships, they bore children, especially sons, elites viewed them as surplus women operating outside the marriage or family scheme and, and as such characterized them as having you know, flexible sexual arrangements and that is why they became ashleel. And so to elites, Tamasha women were excess women and both surplus to and yet significant within the economy of caste and this excess was doubled through tamasha which its critics viewed as a vulgar indulgence within an economy of excess and so you know on the first glance when ambedkar critiqued uh, this sex gender caste complex it seems uh, that it you know as you know some scholars have said that you know it's a patriarchal move however the problem is you know is deeper we need to understand and really pay attention to the building of manuske and so you know we see that ambedkar critically analyzed this connection between caste and the position of women and how dalit tamasha women suffered more deprivation social exclusion and harassment from untouchable men because of caste violence and untouchability and you know he had he had recognized how dalits you know were depicted and dalit, dalit women especially as a whole were depicted as uh, prostitutes by uh, dominant caste people, and all shudras as you know chandals. So, and because of their caste status, and this, and you know, he reminded them, and you know uh, that they were looked upon as degraded, and so as a result, you know, he he really worked hard and was committed to stopping the sexual exploitation of Dalit women, and. Uh, and also you know re-inscribe new standards of respectability so the primary focus however at the same time you know these are the these are the tensions that we come across so the primary focus on the struggle against ca- class caste s- slavery however complicated dalit women's relationship with their samaj as you know this is where as kalyani was pointing out they became moral you know bearers of this respectability that Dalits were trying to carve out so but these are the tensions and you know i uh, talk about them in chapters on you know uh, paula by this leading tamasha performer you know who is a contemporary of you know of course you know she performs you know even before ambedkar but you know uh, you know these are the, these are the tensions that we come across when ambedkar refuses to use the money that you know was donated by Uh, that was not, you know, that Parabai's companion partner wanted to donate to Ambedkar's struggle. Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, Yes, Shalja. So uh, let me ask a slightly uh, different question now. Uh, So, uh, again, uh, in your book, uh, you have talked about the Masha performance. But uh, within the discourse of performing arts, where do you locate a performance like the masha, would you refer to it as a postmodern performance that re-centers the decentered identity? What has the performing art like the masha meant for the quote-unquote new Dalit woman?
3: Yeah, thank you very much, Kalani, for that question because you know it really um, uh, gets to the question of performance and especially you know caste. as people especially those of you know scholars of performance studies and others who are trying to uh, who are trying to you know revive uh, the art forms or have expressed as to how you know some uh, people may not find them exploitative and so on and so forth so there are many ways and many lenses to look at Uh, the issue. However, for me, I am not merely recentering uh, Dalit Tamasha women, but I am invested in illuminating how this secular, traveling, popular theater is branded as Ashleel, which is vulgar, and Bibhatsa, which is disgusting, uh, by the larger society. And this is per the morally driven modern ethic of the pre-colonial, the colonial, the post-colonial state, the elites, you know, the upper caste, middle class, you know, a dominant high caste sovereigns, and ordinary people. And so, I have focused on how we can understand this by looking at the sex, gender, caste complex, as I call it, which is basically the structural complexities of sexual and gendered arrangements of the caste system as they have operated to oppress Dalit Tamasha women. And to investigate these entangled histories, I developed the sex-gender caste complex, the sexual caste violence, and the Ashlil Manuski Asli complex as you know, it was embodied by surplus women and so i analyze these. Uh, i analyze the conjugated oppression of vulgarity caste sexuality class gender and popular culture and illuminate how this came about in the 20th century and how different actors like the british or, or the high caste the maharashtra state and dalits engaged with you know the so called rowdy and carnivalist tamasha for their own purposes and you know clearly, you know, we see uh, that Tamasha women were, you know, very much aware of these new transformations and these, you know, uh, they were involved in self-making and you know reconstructive practices throughout, you know, the twentieth and most importantly into the twenty-first century. They, I, I end uh, uh, the last chapter is about mangalatai Bansode that I know uh, I mentioned in our, in in our, my. In the talk today, and also, you know, Megha Gharge, and I, I end um, uh, the conclusion features how, you know, Megha Gharge or women like Mangalatai or Surekha Tai Punekar, you know, have formed an acquisitive, responsible, and you know, yes, a self interested ethic, but at the same time, it is also you know, important for them to remake themselves and their families, which are dependent on them. So a new generation of artists have transformed the meaning and practice of Tamasha in the context of new political sexual caste economy, as I call it. They were agents in creating and preserving, you know, um, Masti, which is historically produced in Tamasha. They displayed wealth and at the same time preserved their honor, identity, personhood, and name before others. Some leading Tamasha women also enjoyed the pleasure of Power and continue to negotiate precarious public political realms. Tamasha women, they rearranged complex ideological relationships of assimilation or challenge for different purposes. So, right, there are no, no clear binaries, but we clearly see how they are, you know, mediating these processes. And, uh, uh, Tamasha, for example, you know, Mangalata is stigmatization, it ensures the consistent reproduction of of Dalit labor for a sexual caste economy because her degraded and stigmatized body and being a Dalit Tamasha woman is intimately tied to the valorizing of the respectable Marathi and Indian womanhood. So we also come across those processes. And so to negotiate these politics, Mangalatai and her children and her family members they asserted and culturalized Dalit identity by capitalizing on their particular caste culture which they called you know khandani and which becomes asli and this is how they in you know re-inscribe this and most importantly also reinforce their right uh, culture caste based right to tamasha performance So, you know, these are the complicated circuits that I have illuminated in the book. And, you know, in the process, we see as to how um, uh, Tamasha women provided livelihood and social and economic mobility for the future generations. Yet at the same time, this Khandani, as they call it, rooted in the sexual caste economy, also reproduced lowness, the Ashleel, and offered few positives beyond economic rewards. So these are the various tensions that uh, I write in the mm-hmm. book. That's really
2: interesting, Shalja, uh, I mean, to understand uh, the new theorization of performance itself, because uh, somewhere uh, the existing theorization or the existing concepts through which performing arts or the vocabulary of performing arts have been built have been too exclusive and uh, it might, it, it has it has actually become a misfit to understand dalit performances so i think your work through conceptual categories like manuski asli there uh, there, there there are new uh, new ways to through which the uh, Performing arts like Tamasha can be reimagined and rethought. So, uh, to my next question, Shalja, I would like to hinge back to something that you began with about the question of archives and how you have to move beyond the conventional archives, look into social memory, so on and so forth, to understand this uh, the, the the social of Tamasha itself. So. Uh, If you can talk about some of the challenges that you faced as a historian to work with oral narratives and explore history of Tamasha performance that were not conventionally archived.
3: Yeah, sure. Yeah. Thank you for that question. And this is, you know, it's very exciting because it gets me to talk about, you know, moving beyond uh, the the institutional you know so-called archive official archives and that is where it is it is in the field of tamasha that i can actually interact with you know people and their ideas their uh, actions and you know what what how they want you know how they live and you know what they want to do with their lived experience so i have found that you know very very generative so i followed tamasha people and you know uh, as they performed in in pune in mumbai in ahmednagar naradgaon and you know it was a very unique experience for me as a woman uh, to enter these um, hitherto uh, forbidden masculine spaces of unbridled musti uh, you know yes in both you know open theaters as well as enclosed uh, auditoriums like Bal Gandharva in Pune or Damodar Hall in Pera uh, Par- uh, Mumbai so uh, this is where I you know found some differences in terms of for example you know the rural and the urban in terms of open theaters and enclosed uh, uh, auditoriums, so and I talk about this in a, a section on the Tamasha archive in the introduction, so you know listeners could take a look at you know um, you know a deep and that provides you know in depth uh, look on how I navigated uh, these uh, spaces, and most importantly, uh, I f- I found you know it was made most importantly in the urban auditoriums where, you know, I found that um, they were more gender segregated and it was very difficult to uh, record the display of men's energetic and enthusiastic musti even on my iPhone camera, because there was no light uh, in this dark theater, right? It was pitch dark. It was difficult to capture, uh, you know, men uh, on the camera, uh, but at the same time, you know, during, for example, and so this was, this was, these were performances Was, yes, uh, uh, the audience was mainly, more, mainly, you know, men. Uh, so I had to, I had to really, you know, move very discreetly and capture whatever I could on, you know, on the camera from different angles. So sometimes, you know, uh, from the wings of the uh, stage or the front row on the sides and the back and because you know i did not want to disturb the uh men in the audience you know with my um, uh womanly presence and yes i uh, at the same time you know because i was the i was the only woman who was you know moving around for example with a camera recording them on my camera and so i had to be very brisk and because you know they were they were you know very uh, some of them uh infuriated uh, or you know maybe some of them were amused <laughs> and you know as to what I was actually doing but at the same time you know uh, it 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 was uh, it i mean of course uh, you know uh, it's it you feel that oh you don't belong you feel out of place because people are trying to make their own uh, they having having their own entertainment and as and they don't want any other um, woman to watch them Uh, you know, what they are doing. So I mostly sat in the front rows in the theater or sometimes, you know, um, with like, there were just maybe like two, four women maybe sitting mainly in the front rows, especially because they did not, they also did not want to, you know, attract attention and uh, also wanted to be safe, (laughs) I have to say. Uh, And these were mainly women uh, who, you know, must have been in a family members of these uh, dancers on stage. So I, I felt, you know, uh, uh, I, I just sat with them and, uh, you know, especially when this theater full of men was narrowly, you know, looking at, you know, narrowed their eyes to, you know, look at me. And, you know, they, I, I'm sure they must have thought, as you know, who is this uh, woman? Yes, uh, uh, middle class looking and so on. And, you know, uh, 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 and fair. Yes, we have a problem of colorism and, uh, you know, what? doing in this our dark, oversexed, manly space. I'm very sure they, they thought that. And that is why, you know, people were un- uncomfortable. And on top of that, I also was trying to record them. So, I know at, uh, and I also at times, you know, sat in the back of the theater because I just wanted to observe uh, the this, this, this full sensual and performative spectacle between the artist and the audience and, you know, what was actually happening. So uh, so this is how I just moved through different parts of the theater in order to understand how the performance uh, was, you know, carried out and also the performance between the audience and the actors and, you know, what they were trying to do.
2: That's interesting. In fact, uh, very rich uh, field experience talking about uh, very mundane little aspects of watching a performance, but at the same time, reflecting on, you know, the the, the larger ways in which uh, the act of looking, the act of recording at the social meanings that goes around it. So, uh, To my last question, uh, Shalja, I want to ask you that as a postscript to your book, do you think other forms of Dalit performances led by Dalit low caste women can be read together along with the Tamasha performance? Can the caste resistance through performance have a converging anti-caste sentiment despite diverging histories?
3: Yeah, thanks, Kalyani. So yes and yes. (laughs) Uh, So certainly, you know, um, we need to do a lot of deep work and, you know, uh, reading and learning and reflecting on how Dalits and other low-castes have, you know, worked on performance and you know what that actually means to them and you know how they have articulated their ideas and actions and their lives. and you know what what does this actually mean socially, sexually, you know, politically, ideologically? and so that is where I think as a historian, um I would like to. Uh, you know, pursue those lines of thought and we can certainly do that. And on your second question, yes, you know certainly you know songs, skit, dialogues, music uh, can certainly you know converge and certainly provide a robust anti-caste critique. So it is mainly for the researcher, as to you know how do you want to do this, what do you, what, how do you want to read this, and what can you make of this? So it, it can certainly be done.
2: Yeah, uh, thank you, Professor Shalja. That was a really interesting conversation with you. Uh, your book has. I I I I do consider it's a watershed moment to understand the performance of Tamasha. In fact, one of the first kind of in-depth engagement with Tamasha as an art form, exploring and locating it in its history, which uh, has largely been missed out somewhere within the so-called mainstream historical imaginations. So, thank you again, Professor Shalja. I look forward to uh, the audiences reading this book and uh, uh, and, and further conversations around these books. So thank you, Professor Shalja, for the talk.
3: Thank you very much, Kalyani. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks a lot. And I hope listeners will, you know, take some time to, you know, think about these deeper questions and also look at... Uh, these performances and, you know, what these actors are actually thinking and doing and how they have lived their lives. So thank you very much.